You're listening to the St. John's Diamond Creek Podcast. This episode presented by Life Groups Minister, Del Matthews. This is a reading from 2 Thessalonians, chapter 1. Paul, Silas and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God, our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so because of your faith is growing more and more. And the love of all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this this is evidence that God's judgment is right. And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God, which is you are suffering. God is just. He will pay back trouble to those who trouble you and give relief to to you who are troubled and and us as well. This will happen when Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven in blazing fire with his powerful angels. He will punish those who do not know God and do not obey the gospel of the Lord Jesus. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. On the day he comes to be glorified in his holy people, he will be marveled at among all those who have believed. This includes you because you believed our testimony to you. With this in his mind, we will constantly pray for you that our God may may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring you to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, it's been really hard to miss the growing excitement around the Matildas these past few weeks. I mean, far more contagious than COVID or the flu fevers, the whole nation has been gripped with World Cup fever and we've been holding our breath over the Matildas' chances. As I record this talk, the Matildas have yet to play the semi-final, so excitement is at fever pitch. Up until now, we may have vaguely known of the Matildas, but when the World Cup reached our shores and the games got underway, those girls started to become household names. Now, even though we've been only thinking of the World Cup the last few weeks, for those girls, the World Cup has been on their mind for years. To play in the World Cup and win that trophy has been all they wanted, all they looked forward to. It hasn't just been a pipe dream for them. The goal of winning the cup has shaped everything they have done for years. It has shaped how they've trained, the matches they've played, how they've been analysing the the opposing teams, 
and developing strategies for play. Even injury recovery has been planned around being ready to play the big match. Now, making it onto the team was a start, but not enough. They had to work hard to be worthy of being on the team and being worthy of being called world-class soccer players, worthy of bearing the name Matildas. Well, today we're starting a new series on the second letter to the Thessalonian church. It was written by Paul and his friends. And Paul also knew the principle of keeping in mind the end goal. He understood that having an end goal like a final shapes our daily life and who we are becoming today. There's a lot in this chapter, but today I really want us to learn from how Paul prays for his friends while keeping in mind the end goal. Paul touches on suffering because the Thessalonians were really going through a hard time with persecution for being Christians and other other trials. I won't be spending much time on suffering. We've just spent five weeks talking about that through the book of Job. He also talks about Jesus coming again. We'll touch on that as it relates to Paul's prayer for the Thessalonian Christians. Our main focus today is what we can learn from Paul when it comes to praying for each other. So for Paul, what is the end goal or the World Cup that is the lens that shapes his prayer for the Thessalonians? For Paul, the absolute final goal that shapes everything else is the day Jesus Christ comes again. This is a day that all Christians look forward to, a day we can be certain of. We read of Christ's coming again in numerous places in the New Testament. Jesus himself promised that he would come back again. And a number of the letters in the New Testament also remind us that Jesus will come again. It is a given. What is really important to Paul is that when Jesus comes again, he will be glorified and everyone who believes in him will marvel at him. Christians will worship him. And it will be far more fantastic than you and I could ever imagine. As we, as we will see later in the whole purpose of Paul's prayers, is that Jesus Christ will be glorified in us as Christians when he comes again. Paul doesn't ignore the present circumstances of the Thessalonians. <coughs> but for Paul, Jesus coming again was absolutely central to everything. He interpreted even the present circumstances of the Thessalonians with Jesus coming in mind. He reminded them that when Jesus comes again, there will be judgment and those people who had been persecuting them, the Thessalonian Christians, would have to answer to God. God would judge them and punish them justly. The troublemakers persecuting the Thessalonians didn't know God or obey his gospel. If they did, they would worship God alongside the Christians rather than persecute them. Even if the persecution stopped and the Thessalonian Christians had years of peace living on earth, true relief would not come until justice was done and the trouble they were experiencing had been repaid. And that would happen when Jesus comes again. There will be a time of judgment. Paul reminds us that God is just His judgments and justice are absolutely right. Paul says that when Jesus comes again, he will be revealed in blazing fire, accompanied by powerful angels. Now, fire in the Bible is always associated with God, and we get a sense here that Jesus' full power will be on display. 
He has the power and the right to judge everyone. He will punish all those who do not obey God and obey his gospel. Now, the gospel is all about Jesus, in particular, his death and resurrection. And Jesus himself said that, was, that what God wants is for everyone to look to Jesus and believe in him. If we choose not to believe in Jesus, we are told there'll be everlasting destruction and being totally shut out from the presence of God. Many people think of being shut out from the presence of God won't be so bad. I mean, they're living their lives now apart from God. But when Paul says there'll be destruction that just won't stop, we get the sense that being apart from God will be truly awful. But if we do believe, when Jesus comes, we'll be raised up and have eternal life. Basically, we all get what we choose. If we choose now to live our lives apart from God, we will be apart from him forever. If we choose to believe in Jesus, we will enjoy being with him forever. As Christians, it's all too easy to lose that sense of anticipation of Jesus coming again. We get so easily bogged down in our present circumstances and in material things, at least I do. We can get so distracted by what is happening now. The Thessalonian Christians were going through persecution, other difficulties. They could have focused on their difficulties, but Paul encouraged them to keep their main focus on Jesus, not their present circumstances. Now, we don't experience persecution in the same way the Thessalonians did, or like the Christians in other countries today do. It may not be illegal to be a Christian, but it is becoming harder and harder in today's world to be a Christian. <clears throat> what does persecution look like today in your workplace, at your school, in our media, and even in some families? For some of us, it can be outright criticism of us as believers, a kind of bullying. For most of us, it means living in a world where the values around us are becoming very different to Christian values and the pressure to conform is really strong. Persecution is much more subtle for us today. Paul's encouragement to the Thessalonians can be encouragement for us too. All those who oppose Christians and Christian values will be held accountable by God when Jesus comes again. So let's take a look at how Paul prays for his friends, keeping in mind his priority of Jesus being glorified in us when he comes again. Paul prays two prayers. In the first, he gives thanks to God for the Thessalonian Christians. Now, Paul had witnessed to the Thessalonians and they had believed. Paul was thankful because he knew that when Jesus comes again, the Thessalonian Christians would be included in those who give Jesus glory and who worship him forever. <clears throat> Paul can also see that their faith is growing more and more. Their love for each other is also increasing. Both of those are remarkable. Remember, these new Christians were experiencing real persecution and in his first letter, Paul was worried their faith might not stand up to it, but it had. Paul had been telling everyone that the Thessalonians had persevered in their faith despite going through hard times. Their perseverance was not a grin and bear it type. They had a strength to maintain their faith and not give in to their persecutors who expected them to worship other gods. 
Their perseverance was like a Matilda determined not to lose against any opposing team. Their love for each other was also remarkable because like all churches, including ours, they didn't get to choose who would be their fellow Christians. Maybe there would be some friends and family, but God would also have chosen people from all walks of life. If we read Paul's previous letter to the Thessalonians, we find that there were some church members who were idle, some were disruptive, some disheartened and weak. They were certainly a mixed bunch, some of them not so easy to get on with. How could the Thessalonians' faith stand up under great pressure? How could they increase in their love for each other during difficult times? Notice that Paul gives thanks to God for their faith and love. He doesn't say to the Thessalonians, well done you, such great faith and love you have. No, he thanks God because he knows that the Thessalonian Christians' faith couldn't possibly grow by their own effort and they couldn't muster up the love for each other by themselves. It was by God's grace they had believed his testimony. Before they believed, there was nothing to make them worthy of God doing that. They didn't do anything to deserve being in God's family. It was all God's work that they were Christians at all. That's what we call God's grace in our lives. His mercy and love shown to us when we don't deserve it. When the Thessalonians believed in Christ, their lives began a process of transformation. Like the Thessalonians, as Christians, we too are being changed. That transformation is the work of God's grace in our lives, making us more and more like Christ. We don't deserve to be made like Christ, but that's what God wants to do in the lives of all Christians. It was still early days for the Thessalonian Christians. They hadn't been Christians for very long, but still there was already evidence of God's grace was at work, growing their faith and increasing their love for each other, despite the challenges they faced. Paul was keeping the main goal in mind. When Jesus comes again, he knew they would be included in the believers who would worship Jesus, and there was already evidence of change in them. So Paul said he felt compelled to give thanks to God for what he was doing in their lives. It was right to direct his thanks to God, but of course that would also have been a great encouragement to the Thessalonian Christians to know what Paul was thanking God for. How encouraging is it for us too when our fellow Christians notice growth in us? Growth as Christians is something, you know, just like physical growth, we don't notice much ourselves. At least with physical growth, we know we've when we've grown, when we've grown out of our clothes or, or maybe the measurement on the doorframe says we're now taller, our growth as Christians can be harder to notice in ourselves. Others can see it more clearly than we can. We won't notice the change in others if we just turn up to church on a Sunday, but if we put time into developing relationships with each other, growing in our love for each other, just like the Thessalonians, then it will be much easier to notice how others are growing in their faith. You can be a real blessing to Christians around you by thanking God when you notice they've grown in Christian maturity or become more loving or patient or gentle or more resilient through tough times or just more like Christ. 
And of course, it's even better if you tell them how you've been thanking God for them, just like Paul does here. Others may not see their faith, how their faith has grown, but you can. It's something we're not used to paying attention to. We're great at noticing, noticing a job well done and even praising someone for that or thanking God for providing other needs like healing or material needs like a new job. But I'd like to set you a challenge for the week. Ask God to help you notice the growth in faith of your Christian friends and how God's grace is changing them. If you need a little help in where to start looking, you can't go past the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians. You know, love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Like Paul, you will probably feel you just have to thank God for the growth you notice. But make sure you also tell your friends how you've thanked God. Now, I said Paul prayed two prayers, one giving thanks and the second praying for the Thessalonian Christians. In verse 11, Paul tells the Thessalonians how he has been praying for them. Verse 11 starts with this in mind. Paul has just been talking about Jesus coming again and that Jesus will be glorified in the Christians when he comes. So with that in mind, he prays constantly for the Thessalonians. In his prayer, Paul asks two things for the Thessalonians. Firstly, he prays God would make them worthy of his calling. Calling in the New Testament refers to the time when God calls someone to believe in Jesus and become a Christian. Between that time and when Jesus comes again, Paul wants the Thessalonians to be living lives worthy of being called a Christian, of being in God's family. <clears throat> it's a bit like the Matildas coach, Tony Gustafsson, really wanting every single one of those Matilda girls to play in a manner worthy of being a world-class soccer player in every game they play, no matter what the outcome. What does it mean to be worthy of our calling to God's family? Paul prays that in all things, the Thessalonians would please God. And none of us were living lives that pleased God before we became Christians. So there's work to be done. Paul had already seen evidence of change in the lives of the Thessalonians. He wanted that process to keep going. He wants them to fully love like Jesus did, to have the character of Jesus, to have the mind of Christ, to see everything from Jesus' perspective. He doesn't pray for blessing or success. He doesn't pray their problems will go away. He doesn't even pray that their oppressors will change. Now, elsewhere, Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies. But here, Paul reminds us that it's not only those who are giving us a difficult time who need changing. We too have a long way to go to be like Christ. We also need to pray for help to continue the journey of, being, of Christian growth in our lives. We're not able to change ourselves, so Paul prays for God's work of grace, God's help to make us worthy. God is not so interested in what we do as who we are becoming. I like to think of it as cooperation with God's work in our lives. On our part, we need to be obedient and constantly looking to God for his grace and help to change. God will always answer our prayer for help to live lives worthy of being a Christian, basically help to develop that fruit of the Spirit. 
Now, the second thing Paul prays for his friends is that God would bring to fruition every desire for goodness and every good deed prompted by faith. And as the word fruition suggests, he prays, prayed for fruit, for positive results from everything the Thessalonians did prompted by their faith. These actions wouldn't earn them a place in God's family or make them Christians. The Thessalonians were already Christians. These actions were a response to the growing faith in their lives. One of the ways God changes us when we become Christians is to give us new priorities, new goals prompted by our faith and God's goodness in our lives. James tells us that faith without action is dead. If our faith and God's transforming work in our lives is not showing outward signs of transforming our actions, James says there's probably no life left in our faith. The good things we do can't earn our way to God, but as God begins his work in our lives, there should be a change in our actions too. Paul prays God would bring positive fruit to those faith-prompted actions. Our world encourages us to find our inner strength and power, but the problem with that is our own inner strength is limited and our priorities are flawed. We mostly want to please ourselves. The more we want to please God and become like Christ, the more we realise how much we need God in all that we do. God wants to work through us, reshaping our goals and enabling us in acts of service prompted by our faith. What a great prayer to pray for each other, that God would help us and work through us, bringing positive results to those actions prompted by faith. Paul goes on to remind us that the purpose of those prayers is not that we would become great Christians for everyone to notice. First and foremost, the purpose of God's work in our lives is so that when he comes again, Jesus will be glorified. Paul wants Jesus to receive all the glory, not us. Now, our default as human beings is to want recognition for ourselves. My illustration of the Matildas is a bit limited. Those girls want World Cup glory. We Australians want that World Cup glory. It's all too easy, even as Christians, to be motivated by recognition by others. <clears throat> Deep down, we want the glory ourselves. But by praying for help to be transformed and made worthy of being in God's family and praying for help in our faith-prompted actions, we're reminded that when those prayers are answered, we won't be able to take all the glory because the results will be all up to God's work in our lives. Christ should get the glory first for any transformation in our lives. So if you have your Bible open and you're looking at verse 12, you're probably thinking, oh, she's got it wrong, or maybe she's missing something. Paul says, <clears throat> We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him. Aren't we due glory too? Well, the more we become like Christ, the more we share in his glory. Not glory for what we've done or how we've changed ourselves. We share in the glory Christ receives for transforming our lives. It's all about Jesus Christ and he will be fully glorified when he comes again. What do your prayers for yourself and for others look like? 
Are you most concerned that Christ is glorified and we in him? We're pretty good at praying for our friends. We're good at praying for specific situations, you know, for a new job or healing or help to pass an exam, safety when travelling. You know what I mean. We really miss out, though, if that's all we pray for. So I also want to encourage you to pray like Paul for other Christians. Don't get bogged down in the immediate situation only, but learn to keep in mind Christ's coming as you pray. What do you want for your friends between now and then? I suggest you use Paul's prayer as a guide, but you might want to rewrite it in your own words or pray that they will grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Like if someone's going through a tough time, like the Thessalonians were, you might pray for perseverance, for God to help them to trust in him and be patient through this difficult time, especially if they're having a hard time just because they're Christians in a world that doesn't want us to believe. Pray for God's provision or healing in times of need, but also pray for peace and faithfulness as they wait for God to answer their needs. Why not pray like Paul for yourself? We all want God to bring fruit to our actions done in faith, but are you willing to regularly ask him to transform your life to make you more like Christ so that you might live a life worthy of being called into God's family? Pray that Christ will be glorified and you in him. Well, today as we've looked at the way Paul prayed for his friends, I've suggested two things you might do. First, Give thanks for God's work in the lives of your fellow Christians. Give thanks for specific evidence you see of that. And then tell them what you've thanked God for. Secondly, pray for transformation in the lives of Christians you know, that when Jesus comes again, they might be worthy of being called into God's family. Pray that their faith-prompted actions will have positive fruit and that Jesus Christ will receive glory in who your friend is becoming and all they do. Well, as I finish up, I'd like to pray for you too. I'd like to pray those prayers for you. Let's pray. God, our Father, I thank you for calling us to be part of your family when we did nothing to deserve that. I thank you for the faith of Christians watching today, faith that is growing more and more. God, would you help each one to live their lives pleasing you, worthy of being a Christian. In whatever circumstances and challenges we find ourselves, help us to persevere in faith. I pray that you would bring fruit, positive results for every good desire and every action prompted by faith in you. Above all, we want Jesus Christ to be glorified in who we are becoming and what we do. Thank you for your work of grace in our lives. Amen. Thanks for joining us. If you'd like to subscribe to this podcast, you can do so in Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts from. Just search for St. John's Diamond Creek.